Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. As we look at the fourth word in the foundational words of Genesis 1 through 3 today, we look at the word seed, which has to do with the offspring, the children, the genealogy, and the family of Adam and Eve. For many of us, if you've been looking at the news, and probably some of you avoid the news on purpose, you've noticed something that in all of my lifetime I've never had to actually witness, which is war at its core evil, naked and uncovered. Last Saturday, a terrorist group, Hamas, struck innocent civilians, women, children, and others, leaving 1,300 dead, hundreds more injured, abused, or captured. The conflict we're witnessing between Hamas and Israel has been going on for generations but never to this degree. Even in our own journalists' work, they can't even seem to make sense of it. They can't come up with the words to describe the horror of what's been put out there on social media involving children, of all things. But as they also, as journalists, try to make sense of this, you see them without a sense of what good and evil even is. From ivory towers, we look down on it and try to reason why human beings could act so evil. Well, they might have forgotten that human history actually is filled with more of this than anything else, that this violence, which we are witnessing and probably have never seen in my lifetime is actually more common and normal to warfare than we realize. Conflicts between nations, ethnicities, and especially religions has been a part of human history since the beginning. Fighting over land, fighting over resources, fighting over power, but especially fighting over our gods. It's as old as time. It goes back to the stories of Genesis. From Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 4, and Genesis chapter 6, you see this conflict escalating. From the moment that God says, I will put hostility between the serpent and the woman, things begin to heat up. Right at the roots is a hostility between the serpent and the woman and a warfare that follows in his offspring and her offspring. In chapter 4, Cain is confronted by sin crouching at the door and God says if you open that door, sin is going to try to have its way with you. It's going to dominate you. Well, he opens the door and so unravels the story that leads up to the flood of mankind's opening the door to sin, leaving it wide open, and sin having its way with humankind 
till God looks over the face of the earth and sees that it's all become corrupt. In fact, in chapter 6 of Genesis, when God determines to cleanse the world with a flood, it says the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. And it just so happens the Hebrew word used in Genesis 6, 11 is Hamas. The Hebrew word for violence. And people can explain away what that word Hamas really means, but at its core, the cognate between the Arabic and the Hebrew means violence, warfare, hostility, abuse. As we try to put this all together to make sense of something that is so beyond what we could comprehend doing in our own lives, we have to put it into the context of Genesis chapter 3 and the narratives of the whole scriptures because there's something that journalists, unless they're coming from this biblical worldview, are never going to put together, which is the seed. The seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman. So today we'll look at some questions. Number one, who created the conflict? Number two, what is the conflict and who is it between? Number three, how does the conflict grow worse and why? And then number four, how does God resolve the conflict and how does God defeat the evil? When we ask the question, who created the conflict? Who started it? The answer might surprise you. Of course, in any marriage, you can find yourself debating that question over and over, backwards and forwards. Who started it? To the point that there's the suitcase sitting at the bottom of the stairs that never got brought up, and both parties refused to ever talk about who was supposed to bring it up. But it wasn't Adam and Eve that started this conflict. And you might say, well, the devil made me do it. The devil's in everything. The devil's causing all kinds of problems in our lives, tempting us, leading us into sin. But the devil didn't do it. No, in fact, in Genesis 3.15, it might surprise you to find out God caused the conflict. And he said to the serpent, I will put conflict between you, the serpent, and Eve, the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God is the actor in this verse. He is the first person actor of the enmity. That he places the enmity between the serpent and the woman. Now, don't get me wrong. Sin wasn't brought into the world by God. Sin entered the world and death through sin because of Adam and Eve's sin, because of their disobedience to God. But the conflict that resulted between the serpent and the woman was brought about by God. Because think about it. What if God had not intervened? What if God had not acted to bring about a separation between the woman and the serpent? 
without his intervention, all there would be is sin and death and darkness and doom and the end. All there would be is Hamas. All there would be is a world filled with violence because all there would be is the serpent and the woman together. The woman and the man under the rule of the serpent. His kingdom alone left to the destruction of all this world. That's all that would be left until God intervened and he caused a separation to occur between the kingdom of the serpent and the kingdom of Christ. You see the need for this that becomes right out of the very first question God asked Adam and Eve. The most important question, perhaps, in all the scriptures is the first question God asks. Where are you? Now, if God did not intervene, if he did not act to do something, that question could only be answered by lost. What are they doing in the Garden of Eden after they've sinned? They're filled with shame. They're covering themselves. They're hiding and they're blaming each other. Because they have this awareness of evil that they never had before. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil allowed them to have an awareness, a consciousness of their own need for help. A consciousness of God's goodness and the evil that is within them. The word conscience means to see or to know yourself. And so they're awakened to something is not right. And it breeds fear. Because all sin without Christ breeds the very first problem is fear. And Satan works on this knowledge. If God leaves Adam and Eve alone, he works on that knowledge and that fear to drive us into all sorts of madness. Jesus said that the devil is the father of lies. And so he works on that fear, sowing lies. Well, you can't come out of hiding. You can't stand before God. You can't look him in the eyes. What would he think of you? What would he do to you? The lies continue. Well, actually, God put you in this situation. He gave you the woman. He gave, allowed the serpent to be there. He allowed the tree to be there. He's the one behind all of this. So don't bother with him. Go your own way. Do your own thing. You do you. The devil works on this knowledge of good and evil, and left to ourselves, he, he twists it to the point that human beings can become so evil that they can justify in their head killing people. And not just killing people, but torturing people. <clears throat> Brutality. And if any of us thinks for a moment that, well, you know, we, we can't comprehend what Hamas did because we would never do it, just take for a moment a world in which you remove Christ. The reason the world hasn't seen this kind of warfare on this scale for so long, I would say, is because of Christianity, because the Christian worldview has made its way throughout nations, showing us that war should not be like this, even if war is given as a necessity or not. 
God intervenes in our lives to change that so we can't even comprehend it. He intervenes with the woman and the man, but he intervenes by speaking to the serpent and says, on your belly you shall go. In Revelation chapter 12, it shows that this is really describing the casting down of the dragon. It pictures a great red dragon cast down to earth because there was no place in heaven for him anymore. That ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he is thrown down to the earth and his angels are thrown down with him. Now the salvation and the power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimonies. For they did not love their lives even to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. That's describing the casting down of the serpent. On his belly he shall go, meaning he's going to be cast to this earth, no longer having the privilege of being with God in heaven. And in doing so, he's angry. Every act of Satan is anger, fear, reservation to the truth he really knows. And so when you see stuff like what we've seen on the news and in warfare, so evil, you know it's not because the devil's taking over the world and he's going to rule and his kingdom is going to become so grand. It's because he's angry, because his time is short. And like Cain, those who open the door to that, that don't discern the conflict, that should be between God's people and the evil works of Satan's kingdom, they're just given over to it completely. So the conflict was created by God, and that conflict is salvation. That conflict is deliverance. That conflict is our only hope that God would step into the middle between the woman and the serpent. And you see this conflict in the story of Cain and Abel. It's between you and the woman, God says, between the serpent and Eve, and between your seed, the serpent's offspring, and her seed, Eve's offspring. Now, in the story that follows Cain and Abel, it's, it's living out what God's telling is going to happen. There's going to be conflict. And the conflict, of course, is between these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Now, the seed of the serpent isn't implanted in Cain from birth. It's not that Cain has this from birth that he is going to do all these evil things, but it grows. The seed of sin grows. <laughs> God confronts Cain with this problem. When they both bring their offerings to the Lord, the Lord regards Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Now, the Bible doesn't say why. Just like the Bible doesn't say why the tree is there. 
But it simply says they accepted Abel's offering and he did not accept Cain's. And Cain became angry. And God said, why are you angry? Well, that's the most important question here in the whole thing. Why is Cain angry? There is something in Cain that is thinking he deserves more. Just like there was something in Eve thinking there was more that God had to offer. There is something more that Cain deserves that Abel got and he didn't get. And so it begins with that root of resentment. As I said, fear is at the core of all that sin tells us to do. And Cain's at the core has this fear that it's not up to him, that it's up to God. That worship does not begin with us, it begins with God. That worship is not about how, what we can do to prove we're better than Abel, but it's about what God does to accept us despite our unworthiness. It's about repentance. And God says to Cain, sin is crouching at the door like an angry, hungry beast. This is the way it's described. If you open that door and you're not ready, even if you just give it a crack, it's going to pounce on you. This conflict continues between Cain and Abel. Cain kills his brother in violence. All the way to the flood, where the whole world is standing against God as it grows more and more worse. The door left wide open. All the way to the cross. So how does this conflict grow? Fear manifests itself in different ways, in pride, in anger, in lust. Fear can make itself seen in our pride, in our anger, or in our lust. But each one has to do with God not being enough. We become proud because we think God is not enough, and we are. That I'm worth something more than what I'm getting. That I can do more on my own. That there's more for me than what God is giving me. Or anger which is our way of saying God's justification is not enough. That for God to justify us is not enough when we justify ourselves instead. We take things into our own hands to make them right, to settle the score, to win the argument. And we say, I will justify things myself. That's what Cain does. He's decided that the true justification for what he should have based on his offering to the Lord, based on his religion and view of God, is gives him the right to kill the other party. And Christians throughout history then become just like Abel, caught in that place where all they want is to receive God's grace and his goodness, to live in his love and peace, to abide and contribute good things to this world, and yet they get hostility for it. They get hatred, they get persecution, and they get martyred. Or lust, that God's provisions are not enough, that what God has given us is not enough, 
and we need something more. So the knowledge of good and evil that the tree represents, after Adam and Eve become aware of this, it leads people to be able to shift good and evil whichever way they want. They have the knowledge now. And left to themselves, that knowledge becomes gray. Sin crouching at the door is basically the first step in church discipline. That God is issuing to Cain the first step in church discipline, which in our churches we might think, oh, that sounds like a bad thing. No, that's salvation. Having the church or God's or a brother or a friend step in to say, don't open that door. Don't do it on your own. Don't go unaware of where this path is leading. That's salvation. God is issuing a warning to Cain, the first step in church discipline. And if it's not heeded, if it's not listened to, if you say, oh, nobody has any business to tell me what to do. A church doesn't have any business stepping into my life and trying to say what's right and wrong. If you take that approach, as Cain did, it will dominate you. To repent is to turn yourself back. Whether it's your mind or it's your body and the path that you're on, repentance means to turn and face God. And everything that's happening in Cain's life and in the lives of those who are in sin's bondage means they haven't been willing to face God. To let God look them in the eyes, for them to look God in the face, and really discover who God is, what he thinks, what he says. And whatever picture they had of this God, who for two chapters now has been nothing but good, Nothing but generous, nothing but patient, nothing but merciful. They'll discover it wasn't the person they thought. No, it's a loving father. It's a father who knows that children are going to make their own decisions. They're going to go their own way. They're going to make choices, good and bad. And all he can do is keep warning Cain. The true conflict here is not weapons of mass destruction. The true conflict is not Hamas and Israel. But it is terrorism. Because what's the goal of terrorism? The goal of terrorism is terror. The goal of terrorism is to get us afraid, to make us fear, to make us wonder, can we still trust God to guide us, to deal with this, to help us, to strengthen us? Yeah, the real conflict then is between us who believe in the Lord God as our salvation and defender and the serpent who plants the seeds of lies and deception into people's lives and hearts. And if that conflict is allowed to escalate to the point that we don't pay attention to the real conflict going on, it can have devastating effects. So how do we resolve the conflict? How does God deal with it to bring it to an end? 
we know that there's no negotiating with terrorists. If you try to sit down with a terrorist and negotiate peace with them, and on your side of things, you're thinking rationally through this, okay, maybe they want a piece of land, maybe they want some money, maybe they want something to appease whatever they're looking to gain, then you've missed the real point. The terrorists are not looking for land or money. They're looking to dominate people. Because on the other side of the table sits a party that will only be satisfied if the treaty says it puts an end to you. The only end to the conflict then is to end you, to end your beliefs, to end your values, to end your life. And that's how the martyrdom of Christians always goes. You can't negotiate with the devil. He only has one goal, and he won't be satisfied unless he gets what he wants to bring you into his subjection. Well, there is one exception to this. There is one exception which allows for the devil to get everything that he wants, and yet for the good guy to win. Because God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall crush your head, even as you poison his heel. It's the final prophecy of one who will come and put an end to this, but it will come at a cost. To crush the head of the serpent is going to come at a great cost, and it will require the life of God's own son. Because the only way to bring an end to his terror was for Jesus to submit to all of it, to submit to the fear, to submit to the dominance, to submit to the abuse and violence, to submit to something he never deserved, to be the only person in this world who could ever truly say, I deserve better than what I'm getting. And Jesus gave it all up. He knew there was no negotiating and there was no winning by force. There was no war he could wage. There were no forces he could amass on this earth that could defeat what the enemy was actually after. The only way to do it was to give his life up. And on the cross, Jesus ended the war. At least he brought us the eternal victory. It was a problem that humans could never resolve because in our weakness, we will always be trapped by sin. We will always be vulnerable to lies, mistakes, to our own desire for vengeance. Only the laying down of Jesus' life for us could deliver us from the kingdom of Satan to have the victory. It is why Christians like Paul and Peter and John were constantly the silent minority. One thing you don't hear much about in the conflict in the Middle East are Christians. Because as much as the Israelis, 
and the Palestinians can be at odds. Where are the Christians? Where is that silent minority who is in the midst of it all over there, who came out of the very family of Abraham? Jews like Paul and Peter and John. They were constantly trapped in their days between the Jews and the Romans. The hostility between the Jews and the Romans coming down, and those two sides could only agree on one thing. When Herod and Pontius Pilate finally became friends, it was because that Jewish Messiah, the Christians, were being put to death. The ultimate victory, then, is not that we preserve our life that we preserve our peace in this world, that we make this world a wonderful, happy place. Those are all things we want. Those are all things we fight for. But the ultimate victory is to know that in eternity, take they our goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. They have still not won, because the victory remains Jesus Christ. Through his resurrection, Through his life, which never ends, he's given us a life that never ends. And his kingdom continues on through the spirit. The war and battles continue on in this world and in our lives. But we can turn back to the one who has conquered the enemy. As Revelation said, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of the gospel. Amen.